Hi, I'm Brian Pearson. This is the Mystic Cave. We were born before the wind Also younger than the sun And our bonnet boat was one As we sailed into the mystic The Mystic Cave is a sanctuary for the seeker. Stories, conversations, and reflections about the spiritual journey on the other side of Churchland. Today, I begin a conversation with the United Church minister whose church, Hillhurst United in Calgary, caters not to finders, but to seekers. A church that's overflowing its pews, even online. John Pentland, inherited a church that thought it was dying. Instead, it sprung to new life, not by holding on to traditional beliefs and practices, but by addressing the questions asked by people who don't even go to church. His experience hints at what remains possible for modern-day Christianity, at least for those with faith, to follow an unknown path. Here's our conversation. And it just like way back in the days of old John, welcome to the cave. Glad to be here. What a cave. It is this, quite a cave. This is a cave. You are a good friend. You are a writer who gets his op-ed pieces in any newspaper across the <laughs> land. You're a fellow traveler on this spiritual journey, and we've been in a study and fellowship groups uh, together, so we know, know each other that way. You're a cycling enthusiast who even rode over here today, although it's a nice warm day. And you are a United Church minister, unlike any minister I've ever known before, serving a church that's unlike any church I've ever known before. <laughs> so I'd like to start there so that people who don't know you get a, a sense of you. Tell me, first of all, about Hillhurst United Church. What is What are you doing there that is so unique? Because it is a life-filled place, unlike many congregations across this land. So to give me a little bit about Hillhurst. Well, I got I am serving the best church ever. Uh, and it begins with uh, dropping in there 16 and a half years ago for an interview. And them saying to me, well, you're going to be a lost minister. Do whatever you want. And wow. I was like, perfect. So there was a place that was open. They knew we've tried just about everything. And this is our last kick at the can. And so I had just been working at the United Way. I'd been out of church for three years, I think. Uh, and I was ready to say, the church has a role and a place, and this is my chance. Beautiful building in a trendy neighborhood in Calgary. Uh, a group of people who were committed to the building and what they were doing, but really, really ready. They were tired, ready to try something new. And so I... Or, or close the doors. Or close the doors. Yep, yeah. Yep. They said, we want you to lead and connect to the community. And I'm like, perfect. So I literally spent my time in a higher ground coffee shop for a year. 
uh, talking to whoever about whatever and trying to bring in what I had learned at United Way, which is the church isn't the be-all and end-all. There are so many great organizations that are doing great things in the city, connecting and supporting and creating great community. We were just one little player. And so um, it was really a chance to say, okay, what's our unique role? And I personally believe that is that we have a we have a soul connection we can nourish and uh, pay attention to people who don't go to church. And so really the beginning was, who's not at church? How might we encourage them to step in the door? So really it was kind of a fun thing. They said, yep, go ahead and do whatever you want. Now they didn't like it at first uh, <laughs> because suddenly somebody was sitting in their pew. But over time, it's like a wave happened. And either people swam with the wave and surfed or they drowned. And fortunately, people decided to swim with it. Some left, some stayed, some came. But by and large, there was a willingness to say yes. And if you can be with a group of people who want to say yes, then you can do just about anything. Interesting that that they were saying, we want you to go out and connect with the hood, not ask us what we want. Like what they wanted was that connection with the neighborhood. So very, so to start with, they were already very outward looking. Well, they were they were outward looking and allowing me to do that, but they weren't interested in doing that themselves. Yeah. So literally the first year I was, I remember the first couple of months, I was kind of like, I showed up at the church, there was nobody there, nobody yeah. home. And then I thought, okay, I got to get out of here. So uh, I would say they were willing to try, yeah. but by and large, it was about, uh, inviting people, actually, to engage in what do you believe? Uh, it was the time when the Living the Question series was out. Yeah. And so I remember hosting it on the Monday evening. Six or seven people came, and we that became the people that I, I plucked from that group to become the next board. And And I believe that if you have people in leadership that have some sense that they're on a spiritual journey, uh, then you got the right people who are going to help lead. So really it was open the doors a bit, see who comes in, and then from there, build. Let's talk about who came in, because there was a summer, and this must have been maybe 10 years into your ministry there, where my wife and I, I was on vacation, we wanted to go to church, so we said, let's go to Hillhurst. And we drove into your community, and we couldn't park anywhere, because it was the Salsa Festival in the middle of the summer. (laughs) So we had to park like 10 or 12 blocks away and walk in, and we think, well, there's going to be nobody at church today. And that particular day, you told me afterwards, there were 185 people in church in the midst of the Salsa Festival when nobody could park near the church. It was an extraordinary experience. Who were those people who were going to church in the middle of the summer like that? I love it, because the Salsa Fest is one of the best things we were a part of, right? Uh, So the people that were there wanted to be there, funnily enough. Uh, and I remember we had a dunk tank after church, and it was dunk the preacher, and we just played. We just literally played, and I think play is key. Yeah. Uh, so the people that are there want to be there. I mean, now 185 would be a third of our congregation, yeah. not not a third, uh, but a half. Yeah. Um, so I believe you want to make it so people want to be there. Yeah. And I think people that come in the summer generally are looking for something of substance, meet other people, because there's so many great things to do in the summer. And yeah. I mean, why would you want to go to church? So you, you got to want to be there. Uh, but I think play is important, yeah. fun. Uh, probably that day I was in shorts and a t-shirt and 
that became the norm for the summer. Yeah. So I think it's uh, creating a space to say what matters, what are we going to do here to play with scripture, play with ideas, and make it worthwhile. So if it was Salsa Fest, yeah. it would have been about us selling the church to people on the street. Yeah, But not selling the church as as an answer place, not like a gospel hall, right? Like this is, people who are going there no. were finding something other than doctrine. Not to get them in, okay? Yeah. Sell the church in as, you know, you don't have to be crazy to go here. Uh, sell the church in that, um, so here's the way I think of it. A third of the people that come to our church grew up in the United Church. I did. Another third are former evangelical or Catholic, uh, refugees, we'll call them. And the other third are agnostic or atheist. We still have that kind of those kind of numbers. Yeah. And what's great is they keep each other honest. There's no BS. If you've got an atheist saying, what does this mean? You were you met Sarah a few weeks ago. What's communion yeah. anyway? She yeah. grew up in the United Church. She's 27 years old, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I also know 80-year-olds will tell me the same thing. What's communion anyway? So I think if you pay attention that not everybody's in the end club with the same secret handshake, and even when people show up, I say, come five or six times because every week's different. It might not be for you in the end. But I want to be able to say it's a place, a safe place to explore. It's a very porous community in that, that it, you can, in fact, come and be a part of your church, even as you say you've not had any religious background, and you don't feel like an outsider. Like, that's quite one of the extraordinary qualities of Hillhurst. Porous. People can come and go. To, but I'm interested in your own story that led to you being the right guy at the right time, the right place. But So you've said you grew up in the United Church, but I'll bet you it was nothing like Hillhurst. Absolutely not. See, I grew up in the United Church. My dad was a United Church minister. And I saw the church almost kill him. Hmm. So I was very, I still am, very determined to um, not, get, uh, not be in places that's going to take away my sense of humor or my playfulness yeah. or a sense of urgency. And I saw that happen with my dad. And I can remember being in my 20s going, oh, they're going to carry him out in a box. And I, so I just finished my Master of Divinity degree. I thought, do I really want to get into this? Yeah, I went off to the U.S. to Princeton. And when I was down in New York at Union at Princeton and had a great year exploring, I realized, yep, okay, I do want to do this. So then I came back and was ordained. But uh, I'm aware that... Uh, as I moved through my ministry and then worked at United Way, there's lots of things you can do. The church isn't everything. So you always have to, I think, have one foot in the church and one in the community. What's possible? How are we connecting? Does yep. this matter? And uh, if you don't have that kind of adaptability and fluidity and willingness to see that you don't know it all, I think you can live fearfully. Uh, we've always been about thrive, not survive. Yeah. And I think that churches that are always looking at possibilities, that are curious, I was talking, did my sermon today, if you're not wondering, uh, what are you doing? There's always got to be a sense of wonder. What's possible? Um, what don't we know? Uh, are we okay with not knowing? And I th So I think wonder is huge. But uh, I grew up in the United Church, so it's in my blood. Yeah. But I'm also aware there's lots of other places. These days, people would say, you might grow up in the United Church and end up in a Catholic church. You might grow up in a Catholic church and end up in the United Church or Anglican or no church, right? So I really, I believe if you operate on what matters most, pose that question often. Uh, 
then I think you'll be on to an attention to the Spirit. Yeah. My sense of you is that something you brought to the table, I would say even maybe independent of your experience in the church growing up and family and all that, is you have an insatiable curiosity. I just think it's part of who you are. Does that sound right? Like, you're always asking questions and genuinely interested. It's like you're interviewing everybody you meet. So this must be very painful for you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, I'll get some questions to you. I think that, you know, I hope that my last breath in a bed is, what about, and I'm dead. Like, I hope I have my last breath as a question. And, but I think that um, I think that people think churches are about answers. I think you know we know Jesus uh, was the ultimate questioner. I think he asked three hundred and six questions and he answered three. Like he was. Wait all, a minute, you counted them? No, there's a book. There's a there's a book. But I just know that that Jesus is not the answer. Jesus is the question. And I think that if we're continuing asked questions all the time. We're going to have a curious audience, a curious gathering of people who have one more question to explore. And you never, that means you never quite know what's going to be said in any given Sunday. I think part of my disillusionment with mainstream church, which was the same as my disillusionment with my evangelical phase, was you always knew what the preacher was going to say. The default position. The answer is Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus died for your sins. or what? Right? You always come back to this. I would think at your church, people would come out just because they have no idea what you or the other preachers are going to say next. I've had lots of sermons that I would say, as before the sermon starts, this sermon isn't finished. I hope you can finish it on the way out the door or throughout the week. Yeah. Like, I really believe that because... Well, I'm aware that we we don't know it all, and I think we're moving to a place and a stage where uh, we we know enough to get people into the theological reflection or the ability to think, question, challenge, uh, own what their own faith. Yeah. But you see, I I grew up, Brian. I don't know if you know this, but when I was 21, my brother died, so I had my world all figured out. You know, it's like you're in your 21, you know it all. Suddenly, uh, the death of a 27-year-old phys ed teacher uh, in a heart surgery, I was like, oh, my God, what do you do with this? I thought you lived a good life, and you lived till you're 90, and that's that. How is it that uh, somebody young can die? I thought God was in control. Obviously, God's not. So who is God? And so that was the year uh, Rabbi Kushner's book, When Bad Things Happen yeah. to Good People, came out. Yeah. That was my diet. Like I, I chewed that book up. Because I suddenly had to realize God is not in charge in that sense, not yeah. controlling our lives yeah. or causing things, accidents, cancer, whatever. So what does that mean? And so I got lucky, if you will, uh, to learn early that um, God is a God of presence, not power in that way. And so when I've looked, when I look through my 30 years of ministry, there have been several occasions where that I had to be reminded of that. Yeah. And now that's probably the only thing I know. What were were there some other discoveries along the way that like that that have become uh, crucial, like vital for you? That would have been a huge one. And at that particular time in life, but I think even of childhood, or once you'd started your ministry, what were some other discoveries that have helped you grow into who you are now? Um, I would have to say that that was a key one in my twenties. 
Uh, then when I was 40, the clock ticked and it was midlife crisis. And suddenly, like literally almost on my birthday, it was like um, the bottom fell out. And uh, it was tragic in a marriage. Uh, to I'm a peacemaker, a nine on the Enneagram. I don't like conflict. I don't like, like disrupting. And uh, I, my marriage was going to end. And I remember literally sitting in a therapist's office. I was slumped down in the chair, literally, you know, slumping down. And then I went, screw this. That's not who I am. And I literally slipped up and walked out of that office. And I said, I'm starting a new chapter. And for me, it was owning that bad stuff happens. I was part of it. She was part of it. We got to move on. And that's when Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward, came out. And it saved my bacon again around um, the fact that we live in order and then everybody goes through disorder and then we end up into reorder or first half of life, transition, yeah. second half of life. And so my transition period, my divorce in this case, was the fertile ground to move into the second half of life. Yeah. The sad part is I thought I was done. It happens again and again and again. Yeah. Just when you think you're done, ah, you're not. So I would say going through that uh, divorce was challenging because it, you know, suddenly I was a single parent. Suddenly I was uh, trying to do it all on my own uh, and also owning up to what had happened in my marriage, my part, her part. And that was, that was a hard thing. But it moved me into my 40s in a really great way. So I would say... Uh, we learn, as you know, we learn lots from our failures. If Once we're through them and we get perspective. I don't know, who, who was it that said, you live your life forward and you understand it looking backwards, exactly. right? Yeah. And I know that for sure. Uh, so I would say uh, that was a significant part uh, of my life and experience. And then, and then and I don't know, and you know this too, but uh, then when I got a new hip three years ago, I ended up in this awful place of my body being addicted to opiates, which I knew nothing about. Yeah. Uh, my doctor prescribed them, and my body ate them up. And before I knew it, I was in this awful place of my body craving it. Yeah. And as I came off of that, which was a painful, challenging time, it was like, I'm just like the people they read about in the newspaper, except I have everything. I got a wife and a house and a job. And I have a new compassion for people who are on the street who don't have all that to get them through that. So, you know, I'd say that's another low one, like to hit the bottom of the barrel. I've done it a few times. And uh, I have to say that that dark place and that uh, difficult place is actually the fertile ground to the next thing. Yeah. I believe I that. You must have had another discovery around the time when you left congregational ministry, when, when you went uh, to work in the uh, public sphere with um, United Way. the United Way. Um, I'm not sure I even know that story, but, but what did you discover that led you to say, I got to get out of here? Or wasn't it, wasn't it like that? Well, I, I've had um, great people around me. So uh, I had a friend who was working United Way, heard about this job, and that was the day when you went to work and they had pink slips. You know, somebody phoned, here's your slip. Yep. I bet you it was an inch thick. Call Heather McDonald. No, I'm not bothered. Call Heather McDonald. Finally, one day I called her and she said, I've got this halftime job I want you to do. 
on civil society. How do we build good, strong communities? I'm like, I don't know. What would that mean? I mean, I have to leave here half time. So I brought it up with my uh, HR committee at the church, and they said, what a perfect opportunity. That's great for you, good for us. I'm like, really? Can I do this? I, I made a promise to myself I'd never work in a place that had an elevator, and suddenly I did. <laughs> but but what, I, what they knew that I didn't was that me connecting to the city, uh, it was set up with a committee that was uh, leaders in business, government, and nonprofit. Yeah. I got to work with these great thinkers uh, and engagers in the city, and so... I, the church benefited, and so do so did I. So when I say I work with great people, like they saw something I didn't, and I, I was scared to do it. I started the week after nine eleven, and literally, uh, this is a funny story. I had come from the church halftime apart to the United Way, and I remember I started my first meeting. There's like fifteen people around a board table, and I brought in a candle, and I lit a candle on this board table. <laughs> I was told afterward that the CEO of the United Way walked by the room and looked in and called Heather out and said, what's the fucking candle on the board? <laughs> and they laugh about it now, laughed about it then, but I was like, yeah, that's what you do. But they were like, that's not what you do in that boardroom. <laughs> but, uh, but literally it was, uh, I'll never forget that day because here we were. Uh, 9-11 had happened. I'm working in a community organization. And then literally the next day going back to the church. And uh, that was a really uh, strong push to what I would call public theology. How do we engage as a church with those who don't go to church? So it, it's a fascinating, it's not the story that I assumed. I assumed you walked away from the church for some reason. Actually, it, it was an extension of your work with the church. Yep. Then a year later, they said, do you want a full-time job? My marriage was falling apart. It's like, perfect. I'm out. Yeah. Part, so it gave me, you know what? It gave me the space. The United Way was so graceful. They said, you work. I said, I got to take my kids to school, get to work, and then leave early. They said, that's fine. The next week, you work longer hours. I was also doing a doctoral thesis at uh, Chicago Theological Seminary. They said, you can work uh, on that while you're doing this work. It was just a place of grace. And the... Uh, the degree, uh, the thesis was called Speaking Faith in Public Space. So it was like, perfect. How do I do this? And it was like a perfect marriage of this is my job in civil society, and this is how it connects to uh, the city and the church. So, you know, I'm not one of those guys that believes that God, you know, sets out things for you. But boy, if I look at some of it. Doors flying open. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how do you feel now about about the church, I guess the, the church beyond Hillhurst, because Hillhurst is is a unique place. And there aren't a lot of churches. Churches may try to emulate it, but but uh, how do you feel about the church? Beyond? Let's just, for the moment, stick to the United Church so we can broaden that. Um, what's the hope? Is there a hope for the, the future of the church? Well, I was in an interview, in an interview with uh, Brian Pearson not long ago. <laughs> Or I, I know I said denominationalism is dead. Yeah, I was expecting somebody to pick that up and fight me on that. Nobody did. But I would say these days, people don't care whether you're Anglican, Presbyterian, United Church, Catholic, or Quaker. If the spirit is present, if they sense something important is happening, yeah. if they sense the spirit is calling, they'll go. It doesn't matter where you are and what you're doing. The United Church, 
Um, while I love their attention to justice, they need to know that lots of other people do justice work that are a-religious. Uh, number two, sometimes the United Church is too politically correct. We make sure we got all the boxes checked rather than paying attention to the spirit. So I would say where I work right now has got an evangelical spirit and a progressive theology. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes the institution is is stale, yeah. is trying to uh, check boxes. So I don't. I think that the United Church that is paying attention will do very well. We're way more congregational than we are uh, um, across the board the same. So each one's different, and that's the way we should be. So there's lots about the United Church I respect. I think we got a good street name, more or less. And I think that matters, but I I think the weight of that goes on the local congregation and the leadership that are there. There's lots of terrible United Churches, a lot of great United Churches. Because in your case, it is still a gathering place for seekers. And the modern world seems to be a whole lot more comfortable talking about seeking than finding. Maybe that's a a generational thing. But uh, Hillhurst certainly is, it's a place to gather the seekers, which to me is a great gift to be able to go to a church where no one's going to tell you what to think and tell you what to do. But if you're not always seeking, what are you doing? Like, I really think everything should be geared to the seeker. Mm-hmm. I think that. I believe that I had a day one day when I was at early days at Hillhurst, I, I was, you know, Sunday morning, you're fussing around getting things ready. And I looked at the back of the church, there was a woman clutching her Starbucks coffee. I knew her from another part of my work. And she calls me over and she says, uh, John, I've never been to a wedding, baptism, funeral, or Sunday morning. What do I need to know? Her name's Stephanie. I think of her every week. Mm. I speak, preach, teach to Stephanie. So I have to say that what I say, what we do, has to make her feel like she belongs here. Not dumbing it down. That's not what I'm saying. But say it in a way that is not hiding uh, or arrogant, but actually real. And mm-hmm. so uh, Stephanie is really important to me. That happened 15 years ago. Still think of her every day. So I think that if churches aren't seeking, what are you doing? Like, I mean, Jesus didn't say, hey, I've got a great sermon, come to the temple. Never, right? Where did he hang out? Well, who was he with? The curious, the seekers, the people who rejected religion. And I think, um, I mean, I say it every week, we're not, we're not all of us are religious, but all of us are spiritual. And what that means is that we try to nurture the soul of those who come. And so for me, paying attention to the people who are seeking is how you grow a church. Yeah. The other thing is, let's, let's not assume we, our faith stays the same. It yeah. changes. There's times when we don't believe. There's times when we feel we, uh, we're angry, f- afraid, sad, mad, glad. How are we going to connect in our worship that's going to try to touch people and, and let them know it's okay, we're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So I want to wrap up this part of our conversation, and because we've ended uh, talking about Hillhurst, I wonder if you could uh, tell the listeners, if they wanted to be part of the conversation at Hillhurst, if they want to learn more about it, what's what's the uh, coordinates? How do they How do they find... Hillhurst. I believe you find us by typing in hillhurstunited.com. And then just the website's brilliant. I had nothing to do with it. That's pretty easy. Yeah. 
But you know what? I, we'll probably talk about this after. But it's you have to make things accessible. We, our congregation now has people from BC, Ontario, Ireland, all over the world, just like this podcast. And that's the gift, if you will, in COVID. That suddenly the urgency of we got to connect uh, has been made easy. So that's how you find us. We're going to come back to that. But, but uh, so you and I are going to take a break, and then we'll keep, we'll keep talking after that. And and uh, that will be a new episode. That'll be broadcast a week after this one. So for the time being, John, I want to thank you for coming to the cave and being part of this conversation. Thanks for having me. And when that fog on blows, I will be coming home. You've been listening to my conversation with John Pentland, the minister of Hillhurst United Church. We'll continue our conversation on the next episode where we consider modern-day answers to age-old questions. Who is God? Who is Jesus? And how can faith change to flow with a constantly unfolding universe? In the meantime, if you'd like to join the conversation, there are several ways you can do it. You can leave a post on the Facebook group The Mystic Cave, You can write to me personally at mysticcaveman53 at gmail.com or you can write to John at john.pentland at hillhurstunited.com And to learn more about this extraordinary church, you can find it online at www.hillhurstunited.com Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you next time. I'm Brian Pearson. This has been The Mystic Cave. It's too late to stop now.